If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild and Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone. I hope you're having a great week. We're looking forward to Friday because we're supposed to get out of the heat. I cannot wait. Two more days. Two One more and a days. Half, kind of. All right. But we got a hot show today. I'm joined in the studio with my wife, Kira. Hello. And also by Joshua Huffmaster. How's it going? So cool. I always say your last name, Huffmaster. <laughs> All righty. Today, we're going to talk about uh, when dogs play, when wolves play. Is it really play or do they have an another, another agenda? Is there some sort of ulterior motive at hand when they play? Well, we did a little bit of research. Of course, I have my own research. I, I grew up in the wild. I observed wolves uh, as a professional, also as a young lad in the wild. So I have my own personal observations of wolf play and, of course, uh, have a lot of observations of dog play. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have, if you own dogs or if you take dogs to a dog park or take them to a dog daycare, if you own multiple dogs in your household, you are able to be the, have a front seat to play literally on a daily basis, probably multiple times per day. So we get asked questions a lot uh, that range from, is, is that real? Are they just playing? Oh, yeah. I would get that one all the time. Yep. We, Brian, what should I do? It, it sounds like they're growling. Should I break it up? You know, every day, I don't think a day goes by that we don't get asked some question that centers around play. So today we're trying to do our best to kind of shore up some of the misconceptions that there are surrounding play and give you a better idea of exactly what's going on and better yet, what should you do if it starts to get out of hand? We relied upon a study that was done in 2018 at the Wolf Science Center, the Conrad Lorenz uh, one of my heroes, uh, Institute of Ethology. And this was done at the University of Veterinary Medicine in Vienna, Austria. And doing the study, they sought to determine the motivation behind play among wolf puppy packs, meaning puppies ranging at about three months of age, three and three and a half months of age, and mixed age packs. And these were the puppies ranging, again, about three months of age, all the way through juvenile periods, to adulthood all the way up to about four years and three months of age. And they did this over a three-year period from 2009 to 2012. And while they observed the play, they placed it in two categories as either competitive, meaning to test the weakness and strength of potential competitive partners in a potentially safe context, or as relaxed play, promote cooperation and pack cohesiveness. Um, now, before they did this study, previous research had already been done in this area. Uh, they, they wanted to change theirs a little bit and see, they tried to hone in mostly on relaxed play. But the other research that had been provided and had been done in the recent decade had uncovered a, a few benefits behind play among social predators. One, they determined it was used to strengthen social bonds by increasing trust and reducing aggression between social partners. Amen. You bet it does that. 
I cannot tell you how many times I've observed wolves playing with other wolves, pinning them on their back and then releasing them. It is though they're learning from a very young age, you will be controlled, but you will not be killed. It's called intragroup control. So this is happening from the minute that they're young cubs uh, till they're older. And we see it again with dog puppies. We see it among litters and young dogs doing the exact same thing. Playing, trying to strengthen the social bonds that they have between litter mates. And then eventually they come into your home and we'll talk about that. How, what happens when dogs play with humans? Number two, it was an assessment of the competitive abilities of others to establish and maintain dominance relationships without the risk involved in overt aggression. Absolutely. Again, out in the wild, it's one thing to control your pack member. It's a whole other thing to kill them. Killing them doesn't do you a whole lot of good. There's a lot of direct reciprocity uh, in, in groups like that. You do not want to go killing all your offspring. That's not a really handy way to increase uh, the population of wolves, the perpetuance of your species. So Mother Nature put up a couple of governors in place there. And part of that play is to determine who are you and who am I? If it ever boils down to there's only two of us and one rabbit, who gets the rabbit? If you can determine that through play, well, then we don't have to determine it through a, a vicious battle with fang and claw later when there actually is a rabbit. It seems as though that play is Mother Nature's way of kind of putting a safety on social uh, social groups, making sure that there's not too much fighting. And you could even argue that that's the case for humans as well. If we didn't have competitive outlets through sports and things like that, there'd probably be a whole lot more fighting going on. Uh, yeah, no doubt. So. No doubt. In fact, it's actually even a tool for frustration yeah. as well. I'm frustrated. So you are the proverbial wooden block and being the rat in the cage receiving the shocks. So it's a, yeah, there's so many uses behind it. Just think if we were able to do that as humans, you know, play with your enemy and determine, okay, you make me say uncle all the time. So you can have this parcel of land. I'll be gladly give it up. And you only take what you need, just like wolves, because wolves will only have territories large enough to be economically defensible, meaning they don't take what they don't need and what they can't maintain. Uh, and it's mostly just to have a safe barrier between me, my offspring, and you guys. That's the number one rule for territories or the use for it is actually protection of the offspring, not to serve as a gigantic grocery stores. Oh my gosh, they are shopping at everyone else's grocery store all the time. They're just hoping not to get caught doing it. Uh, but yeah, it has many purposes. Also serves a purpose of principle of resemblance. Uh, Papa Wolf playing with his oldest son. Also on one day determines, hmm, he's getting good. This boy about pinned me. He about had me there today. Uh, I think I need to go talk to my mate. Hey, honey, Junior just about pinned me today. <laughs> and I think it's time for Junior to go off and disperse and go make your own little pack. And again, how many times do we do this as humans? Dang, my son is testing me a little bit there. He's really pushing it here. Uh, when does he go to college? Yeah. When can we do this dispersing thing? So, yeah, it, it, it's done for all of that. So, these previous studies came up with these benefits for play, and they're absolutely true.
So let's talk about what did the University of the Veterinary School of Medicine in Vienna, Austria, what did they find? Well, they found that wolves spent longer playing with partners with whom they needed to clarify their dominance relationships. So in other words, those who had not worked it out. Okay, so Joshua, you keep pushing me. You keep pushing me. You keep pushing me. You keep looking at me. You give me this funny look. You kind of growl at me and you're kind of pushing the envelope over here. Well, then I would play with Joshua more than I would play with Kira. Because if I got Kira squarely underneath my thumb, which I do, by the way, uh, then I would not play with her as much. Because why? I'm trying to work it out in a safe context with Joshua and making him say, uncle, and give me the cupcakes when I ask for them. <laughs> so, again, that's one of the first things they found out. Makes perfect sense. You know, you can't ever argue with nature. Good Lord. She's got it all, all together. Then the next thing they found out, dominance relationships were reflected and rarely reversed during play. Amen. You got it. So if I own Joshua over here and I make him say uncle all the time, then if we now it comes down to the cupcakes and he surrenders them to me. Well, when we play later in that afternoon, I'm not going to suddenly roll on my back and let Joshua dominate me. No way. We've already decided I get the cupcakes. You say, too bad for me. Great for Brian. It's all going to work out just fine. So I'm not going to reverse that during play. And we're building, guys, to what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you and your dogs? We're building up to that. I think you just broke a myth that I've heard for so long, that healthy play is a whole lot of role reversal. I've heard that at dog parks so many times, and I, I, I've seen it so many times where there is a lot of role reversal, and then a fight breaks out between those two dogs that were doing a whole bunch of role reversal, which we're about to get to in a minute, why that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you notice they said rarely reversed during play. Now, as you go deeper, and guys, not, we don't have five hours to do the radio show today, so I'm not going to cover the 30-some-odd pages that came with this research. But if you do delve deeper into this research, you will find that when the reverse occurred, it was when you had two very closely matched play partners. And the one on that day had his A game going, got a good night's sleep, been eating well, probably been doing a couple extra push-ups throughout the week, and suddenly that one won. But then when the play broke up and it ended, they carried on that role until there was more play, which could have been reversed to roll again. Again, these are closely matched ranking partners. They also found that wolves tested each other during play to acquire information about the skills and potential competitors and gain hierarchical advantage over them. Yeah, we've already said that. You bet that's what they do. It, it helps with this. Siblings, which were in most cases close to each other in rank, spent more time engaged in competitive play. You bet. Uh, at, when you're very young in age, kind of like having, you know, what, 10, three-year-olds around, uh, mm-hmm. so on and so forth, hierarchies don't emerge with very, very young animals as quickly as it does when the animal now grows into a juvenile stage and into a, a later adolescent stage and into a young adult and finally into an adult. Uh, those take on more precedence because why I'm getting ready and this is nature preparing me to grow up so I can provide for my own offspring. And while I'm raising that offspring, they need to understand one thing. 
my will is law. I'm the head of the household. This is the way it gets done. Like it or not. Again, I've said in previous episodes, my leadership is not distributed. There's a reason why these things emerge. There's a reason why dogs still have it today. And we're getting to that. And then lastly, the last thing that they uh, put out in the research was, although they analyzed two distinct forms of play, they were not able to exclude the possibility that there really isn't a difference in play behavior. So even though they kind of said, okay, we're going to categorize it, relaxed and competitive, by the time they got done, they were left scratching their heads because of what they observed during those years and think, Huh, maybe there's really not a difference. In fact, I don't think there really is a difference. Uh, and if there is, it's on a gradient in which you'll find that relaxed play is at one extreme with competitive play being at the whole other 180 degree extreme. And that makes sense as well. If I know, for example, take a father who is wrestling with his six-year-old son, there is no doubt among those two or at least there shouldn't be, as to who's who, if there's a rank system involved, if there's a hierarchical status involved. So therefore, dad can relax and play. He can. And we see this with big leadership dogs, uh, dogs that have high amounts of dominance drive in them. Alpha wolves, we see them playing with the very young. We see them playing with those that mean really nothing to them. Uh, we owned our big German shepherd and he would play with the Morkies, but at a moment's notice, he'd go, get off of me. And by the way, don't come over here near my food bowl. And they'd say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So again, when you have a great disparity between power and rank, then you will start to have what appears to be relaxed play. I would just call it more part-time work not full-time employment. It's just part-time. So all of this makes sense. So now that we took this and we observed wolves in the wild, and again, they also observed other social predatory groups and found that these were all very similar. They all had an existing uh, trait in them. Now let's talk about dogs. So what are dogs start off with? What are dogs uh, biologically? How do we, from a taxidermy standpoint, why do we classify them as? Canis lupus familiaris. There you go. Wolf gray domesticated. That means I still had the instinct that came from a wolf. And those of you that are listening that you don't believe that, well, you're wrong. Uh, So now we got that out of the way. Let's move on. So that being said, they do still have the instinct that governs them from being a wolf. Yeah, I get it. They've learned how to live with humans. And I could talk about that all darn day long, but I'm going to get past that point. Competitive aggression is the first thing that we need to understand. Competitive aggression is the leading cause of aggression on the planet Earth, whether it be with human social predators, non-human primates, whether it be with wolves or whether it's with your dogs. Competitive aggression is the leading cause of aggression. However, instead of every contested item being fought for, having some sort of physical contest that could end in a very, in a fatal brawl or a near fatal brawl, dominance hierarchies emerge as substitutes, isn't that word, as substitutes for continual aggression among animals that are smart enough to know their place. 
So again, give dogs credit where credit is due. They get the hierarchical system, whether you do or not. So many times nowadays, we don't want to even think of a hierarchical system. We don't want to be parents anymore. We want to be our child's very best friend. And there's a problem with that. Nature said, you can't do that. And there's a reason for that. I think we see that all the time at our house. When you give to Connie a bone or a Benny bone or something like that, what happens to chicken, to Dave? Oh, he's gone. He takes off. Yeah. <laughs> when, as soon as those things hit the floor, he is out of there. He didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. They're there. Whether you choose to believe it or not, I hope that you do choose to believe it. I hope you embrace it because it's there and you need to make sure it's there and you need to make sure it is absolutely stable because let me tell you something about this. It's there and here's what, here's the difference between a stable hierarchy and an unstable hierarchy. Unstable hierarchies create tons of stress, tons of stress. If number five, so let's say you're fostering eight dogs. If number five wins, only 51% of the rough play of the mock contested battles or even real life battles over number six, that suggests that the two may be close to switching positions. Bingo. Those two are stressed non stop. And even the reciprocating pack members, they're nearby. Again, have children in a room when mom and dad are fighting. Where do they go? To their rooms. They're ducking for cover. Uh, look at our dogs. Same thing. We have four dogs. You let two of them start to escalate into a fight, the other two are gone. They're out of there. Uh, it, it causes stress for all the pack members. It's not healthy at all. So you need a stable hierarchy because if you have a stable hierarchy, it is much less stressful. If five spends 95% of his time trouncing six, six will turn around and spend 95% of his or her time trouncing number or seven. That's wonderful because why? It's stable. Now I have predictive information. I can predict what five is going to do to me if I'm number six and seven can predict what I'm going to do to it and about how I'm going to do it and about when I'm going to do that. We talked in the previous episode last week about the four things that you must have to lower your stress response and control it at a very healthy level, both physiologically and psychologically. Number one, you must have predictive information. So when you have a stable hierarchy, it's very predictable. Think about your workplace, for example. If you have a tier system, I have a manager, then I have a co-manager, then I have a supervisor, then I have a, I don't know, whatever even comes after that. I just remember in the military, I knew what my rank was, so I knew what I could do to those lower in rank to me, and I knew what those in, with higher rank could do to me. And it was very stable. I wasn't stressed about it. I knew my responsibilities and I knew what they were by the higher ranking officials were going to uh, require for me to respond, how to do my job. But imagine now going into a workplace in which, well, we removed all the leadership. Oh, good Lord. That's called anarchy. 
We've seen it around the world when powerful dictators are suddenly assassinated or removed. And the next thing you think, oh, everyone will pray down the street celebrating. Yeah, they do for about four minutes. And then grenades go off and then car bombs go off as everyone fights for their dominant hierarchy. God, why we can't get this through our heads and we don't see it. It's right in front of your eyes. It's everywhere. So accept it. It is what it is. But when you do this, when you have a stable hierarchy, you provide predictive information to your animals and, the, and each dog that you have to the other dog. It allows them to control their behavior, control the outcomes. Hey, here comes number five. I'm number six. I need to make sure I do a certain behavior. Just again, like with Dave and Takani and the Binabone. Absolutely. Whenever Takani, our big husky, gets a hold of a chew toy, Dave leaves the room. He's got it. He I'm learned. Good. Yeah. Other than that, I relax all the time until <laughs> that darn thing hits the floor. And as soon as it hits the floor, I'm gone. That's wonderful. We talked about that last week as well. Rat in the cage is getting 50 shocks an hour. It's super stressed. But then all of a sudden, they put a warning bell in there. Now the rat is not half as stressed. Why? Because I can predict when the darn thing is coming. And now give it something else it can do to control the situation, like a lever that it can immediately hit and there no shock will come. That's like Dave. So Dave relaxes all the time until the bending bone hits the floor and then he controls the situation and he leaves. It also provides social support. Social support. Remember, why do I play with you? Why do I grab you about your neck? Because I don't want to kill you. I accept you. You're part of my pack. In fact, I'm going to actually need you guys tomorrow because we're going after this really big animal and I'm going to need all this help to, to pull this thing down. But I also need you to do what I tell you to do because you, Junior, and you, little missus, you guys are kind of young, and you go attacking this bison at the wrong angle, and it could get me killed, and it could get you killed. So, again, it provides social support. I can trust you. You can trust me. Kind of like a tight 360 in the military. You know the guy behind you has got your back. Got to have that. And then, lastly, it provides an outlet for frustration. Remember, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to chew on you for a little bit. You can handle that, can't you? Come on. Come on, Joshua. You can handle it. If I chew on you for a little bit, he can handle it. And, and I definitely can handle it from Kira. I'm like her proverbial wooden block. It's like, <laughs> nah, 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 nah. every time she gets frustrated, she's chewing on me. Well, again, as long as you're not killing me, as long as I still get something to eat and all the rest of the time life is great, then it's cool. I've got everything that I need to survive on the planet or predictive information, control, social support. And I also have a frustration for, for myself and my own little outlet to frustration, uh, to take out my frustration on. Okay. So that's why guys, you have to let dogs play. If you own multiple dogs, or if you even only own one dog and you take it somewhere, it really needs to be afforded the ability to play because play is the only way, like you mentioned, Joshua, it's the, it's nature's way of forming that hierarchy. It really is. You know, you got your mom and dad, you get that. Okay. But what about the rest of us? Who are we and what will we become? Will we have our own mate one day? Will we have our own territory? Will we have our own offspring? What will become? No one likes inconsistency. I don't like inconsistent people either be a real jerk all the time but don't just be a jerk part of the time. You know, which devil's worse, the one you know or the one you don't know? We all fall into that. We all do that. So play allows the formation of a stable hierarchy, which leads to less aggression 
outside of play. So again, we established during play, who am I and who are you? So when this toy hits the floor, I don't have to worry about Dave coming over here trying to take the darn thing. And Dave doesn't have to worry about me swallowing him. Because I always said little bitty Dave could kill Takani one day. Get stuck in his throat. By getting stuck in his throat. <laughs> so, of course, he's heard that more than one time. Okay. <laughs> All right. But when we come back, we're going to take a short break, guys. Um, so, I, now you heard me campaign for play and what play really means. Let's talk about a few bumps in the road when we come back. And let's also talk about human to dog play. So, we're going to take a short break. We're going to grab a drink of water here. You guys do the same thing and come on back because we got some really important information when we, hit, when we come back. See you in just a few. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, send an email to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, hope you were playing for a little bit during the last couple of minutes. Uh, we were certainly playing around in here. Uh, we've been talking about play, the importance of play, and is play ever just play? Or is there some sort of ulterior motive to it. I think we established that. Play is there for a reason. It's there to make sure we understand who are we, who are you, because dominance hierarchies emerge to blunt physical aggression. So that's why they're there. So let's talk about a few bumps in the road, for example, with your own dogs. Um, studies have shown that low-ranking wolves and dogs in large packs, meaning six or greater, 
So that's for those of you who possibly foster a lot of dogs or you just own a lot of dogs. But anyway, the number six seems to be for whatever have you. And of course, you know, you can go up or down a little bit. The, the magical number that creates this condition in which low-ranking wolves and dogs, the lowest one on the wrong, so number six out of, out of six, uh, they typically have chronically activated stress responses, meaning elevated glucocorticoid levels, high resting blood pressure, and diminished learning capabilities. So I've heard people tell me, well, I, this dog was the runt. Uh, it came from a family that had eight dogs, and it was number eight. And I'm having the most difficult time training it. Yeah, that could be part of it. it there's because the stress damaged the brain? It did. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The hippocampus is not functioning properly, and it's having a hard time uh, pulling information from the cortex. Or the dog was under such high trauma or such high stress that it never consolidated memory of the of the events. Uh, so you don't have a chance to learn from it. The old, wow, that happens again. I'll have to remember what I did to get out of that last, you know, next time that happens. So they, they never consolidated that. You bet that can happen. And many times uh, these dogs uh, and these wolves, the lowest ranking members, are the proverbial pincushion of the society. They're the pincushion. Uh, they are the outlet for frustration. They are, again, the proverbial wooden block. No wonder they're always stressed. They are constantly, constantly stressed. And Kind of like the example you gave earlier where Kara beats up on you and you beat up on me. If you're the last ranking member in the pack, you don't have any, anyone lower for you to take that frustration out on. You don't have that wooden block. Yeah, that's, yeah you, you don't have the wooden block. And in many cases, too, it's not just always linear. For example, anytime there's a change, uh, meaning you own five dogs and now all of a sudden you adopt another one, it comes in. So you had one through five, but this thing walks in and it's an immediate, immediate one. Now, all of a sudden, that one, that new number one trounces the old number one and old number one is known to go straight to number six now and trounce it. I'm going to take my frustration out on you because why I can do it safely. I don't have to worry about now, possibly now that I'm in this little weakened state. I'm exhausted. I just got my rear end handed to me. So now I'm going to go trounce number six because I just need to feel a whole lot better. And we see this in primates, see a lot in baboons, same thing. They, you have a reversal of order and immediately the one who ended up in the, a change in position for the worse will then go and trounce all the lower ranking members of that troop, uh, every one of them. Uh, again, they're the proverbial wooden block. So yeah, it's, it's bad. You know, and then those animals, uh, anytime you have and maintain an elevated stress response, you will, this is what I can guarantee you, you will have a shortened lifespan. You will suffer from some brain dysfunction. You will have a suppressed immune system. So again, it makes sense. We hear this all the time. I see it all the time. I deal with clients and that low ranking dog is the one that's always going to the vet, the one that always comes down with an illness, the one that always comes down with an injury, the one that seems to die prematurely. It just happens like that, guys. So again, another being an advocate, let play happen. Try to let dogs work things out. Or, okay, so you take my advice. You go, okay, Brian, I'm just going to let them go for it. I'm, I'm just going to stand back. I'm going to go pop some popcorn, throw some M&Ms in there like we like to do, a little sweet, a little salt, you know. <laughs> and I'm just going to sit back and watch the darn show. Okay. Well, <laughs> I wish it was that simple, but it's not. 
because what happens if the play gets too rough? And we had a question on that, didn't we, Kira? Yes, I think we did. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that was last week. We had a question on my dogs recently started acting oh, you're aggressively. Right, you're right. You're right. You're right. My dogs recently started acting aggressively towards each other during play. How can I tell if they're just playing or if I need to get ready to break up a big fight? You know, that is a, wow, I wish there was a one answer for that. You know, just let it go. But you can't because here's the problem with that. Play will escalate to a fight. It happens a lot, especially when you have number six and number five. Five's only winning the contested play 51% of the time. The, that's the play that happens a lot. And so many times it will escalate into a full-on fight. Full-on. Um, and, and, and if it is like that, if you have two closely matched members of your household pack, it may never end. It may never end. And this is where we start to have to think about dispersing, making someone leave. Let them go. You know, again, lots go, Brian, I'm never going to rehome my dog. I, when I got this dog, I took on a responsibility to take care of it for life. Well, let me tell you what. When you're an animal that is constantly having to fight another animal, you're a human constantly fighting with another human. What the heck is your quality of life? Not good. No, you're going to have a shortened lifespan, brain dysfunction, and suppressed immune system just to start with. Then later on, you're going to have diabetes and a whole bunch of other issues. No, quality of life means we make difficult decisions sometimes. When you have two dogs who fight all the time, who their play escalates to a fight, you've got a problem. I would highly recommend that you think, truly think about dispersing. Use what nature does, simply separate them. Because even if you do the zookeeper thing where you put up a pen, you put up a gate, or you put one in another room, well, first of all, Murphy rears his ugly head where you Every can at least time. afford it. Yep. And all of a sudden, one of these things gives way. And now there's a full-on fight. Because why? Because we have not been able to establish this hierarchy thing. We still got un left, uh, unfinished, unfinished business. business yeah. yeah, you bet. Now I'm going to really take it out on you. So it suddenly goes to a very, very, very high level. And it's just all bad. And on top of that, even if the latches don't give way, don't think for a second that a dog with their elevated sensory capability doesn't know that the other dog is around. They don't know. They don't know when that door will suddenly open. And that can actually cause more frustration. Oh, amen. More fear, more frustration, more everything. So what if the play gets too rough? Well, first of all, I'm not going to get too worried about it uh, right off the bat unless I have a power disparity, a huge one, meaning sometimes you have dogs of the same age. Remember, when nature put this thing together, when she came up with this wonderful plan, she wasn't taking into account that we furless bipeds would come along and screw it all up by making sure that we had one-year-old dogs that were only six pounds and other one-year-old dogs that were 100 pounds. You don't see that kind of size disparity in the wild. You know, lion cubs of the same age are about the same size. Wolf cubs of the same age are roughly the same size. It, we don't make them have to deal with that situation. So again, but the mind, the brain in both of these animals, which by the way, just a little teaser, next week's radio show is about do larger dogs with their larger brains? Are they smarter than small dogs with their small brains? Uh, pretty interesting findings on, on that. We'll get into that next week. 
But the issue that I have is I have the big Great Dane who's one year old. And then I have the Chawini. It's one year old. It's only six pounds. You let them play. And next thing you know, you could have an accident. You could have a fatality. You could have a fatality. It could be very, very relaxed play. And it could just be by accidentally falling on them. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. So it's tough. It's hard for me to tell you. Uh, Here's what I'm going to do. First of all, aside from the, okay, I'm probably going to be honestly, be honest with you. I'm not going to allow too many six pound dogs to play with 100 pound dogs because I just know better. Even if it's all great, uh, someone ends up being hurt. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find other six to 10 pound dogs and let the dog play with them. Uh, And I recommend that you do the same. Okay, now outside of that, so we have two six-pound dogs or 200-pound dogs playing, and it keeps escalating, keeps getting too rough. It looks like it's going to break into a fight. Wow, that's where you have to really sit there and say, okay, I'm just going to go for it here. I'm going to kind of let it work its way out. And so what? If I get a small little vet bill, maybe I will save an even larger vet bill later. I think they need to work this thing out. And I tell you, I've told that to people over the last four decades, and I'm here to tell you, if that was money in Vegas, oh, the house is going to hate me because I'm winning so many times, not all the time. But guys, you know, life is a bit of a risk. And sometimes you have to go, okay, I'm just going to let them kind of go for it. I trust the fact that dog fights look and sound horrendous, but most of them are not violent. Uh, They can work it out. And then I'm going to kind of take into account breed. What kind of breed do we have? Yeah. Do we have breeds that were, were bred to be aggressive, to not know how to throttle down? I go from zero to 100. All that has to be taken into account. So, but the greatest uh, rule uh, advice I can give you on that, if you can, if it's all okay, let them work it out. Let them establish their stable hierarchy. I promise you it will work out in the long run for the best. All right. So we want to talk just real briefly before we ask a couple other questions we want to try and get to an answer today. What about dog to human? So how many times do you get asked or how many times is you as a dog owner have asked, is it okay to play tug of war with my dog? And tell me how many different answers do you get? It's amazing. Of course you can play tug of war with your dog. I play tug of war with my dog. You play tug of war with your dog. And yet I don't have an issue with that. Just kind of keep in mind, go back to nature. We don't roll, do roll reversal. If I'm the leader, I'm the leader. That means during play, that means during work. And work and play, they kind of mix together anyway. So me playing tug of war with my German shepherd, for example, when I would let go of the tug of war toy and let him go over there and thrash it and kill it and stomp on it and everything, that did no more to downgrade my leadership because he felt my power when I held onto the vice. And also because at any given moment, I made sure that when I said out, he let go. So right then, that's my power. I control when game starts, when the game ends. And also outside of play, I'm going to maintain my leadership. You bet. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with tug of war and play. Yeah, like you like you just said, there's a whole day 
in which that you spend with your dog, if 98% of that time in which that you, you are in control of your dog, you are the leader in that situation. When you start playing with your dog tug, and then every once in a while you let that dog win at that tug, first of all, no animal wants to play a game in which that they can't win at every once in a while. If they're just constantly being beat down, no, you can't win. No, you can't win. And they lose interest in it. You know, I mean, that if you even go into protection dogs, how do we get the dog's drive to want to latch on that thing and not let go? We convince them that, yes, you can pull this out of my hands every once in a while. So in that situation, if you are in control all the time outside of play, then your dog pulling it out of your hands every once in a while does not diminish your leadership in any way shape or form as long as like you said you start the game you end the game and also you have the ability to tell the dog we're all done yeah because that goes back to remember when i said you'll see an alpha role uh i'm not god that was an episode while ago an <laughs> alpha wolf uh doing an alpha role on a puppy but uh nevertheless they'll lay on their back and allow them we've we saw it when we had with takani our siberian husky was a young pup and mm -hmm. captain was a four-year-old australian cattle dog he would allow Takani to grab him by his cheek and grab him by his neck. And he would even roll over on his back. Again, this is what you do. This is the thing that prompted this whole study. Wow, that looks like relaxed play. It really does. It is. Captain owned him then. He owned him. It's, like I said, it's the dad with the six-year-old. I know who I am. You know who I am. There is no contest here. Let's just relax. So, yes, you can play tug of war. You can rough house with your dog. You can even wrestle a little bit if you want to, as long as there is a stable hierarchy between the two of you. However, if there's any doubt whatsoever, I recommend you don't play. I recommend you go work on building that stable hierarchy first. So, I often have ladies call me and talk to me about their dogs that they're having issues with. And they say, well, my husband played too rough with the puppy when he was really young. Did that really create the problems that they're having now? Well, it can create one problem in which I was conditioned to play at a high level. Case in point, you know, your first time you ever play uh, a sport and the sport plays at a very high level, causing you to do all these motions and all these tactics and aerobic conditioning at this high level. Well, that's what you're used to. They do that. They do that for you know, professional sports. They do it in the military. When your brain is conditioned, your body is conditioned to operating at a certain level, that's what you fall back on, especially when you're stressed. So these people, these husbands who roughhouse with their animal and require them to growl more, to grab harder because they can handle, I can handle, and just go ahead and bite me. Is that, is that as good as you can give me, boy? Bite me a little harder than that. When they require that and they do this over and over and over again, they're simply changing the set point. They're taking away the governor, the natural governor that was put into the animal by nature. And they're taking it and saying, oh, we're going to turn that up a notch. And yeah, we're going to set it right there. Let's tighten that up a little bit. And that becomes the modus operandi for that animal. So later on in the future with encounters with unfamiliar humans or unfamiliar dogs, I immediately go to that level because that's the level in which I achieved my success. That was the level that was absolutely required of me. So you bet. Yes, yes. Uh, sometimes the good old husband can create the problem and can cause an animal to be far more aggressive by simply overdoing it when they're young. So I mean, even now bringing this back to a human uh, perspective, 
I roughhouse and play with my son at home. And I have to keep in mind, you know, when he goes and starts playing with kids his age, I have to play at that level. So if we're hitting and pulling and, and pinning and all these things, if he hits me at a level that I could take all day, it's no problem. He can hit me like that. And it's not any issue. I'd probably stay asleep, but I have to keep in mind, how is he going to play with other kids that way? And it may not be so fine for him to hit another kid that hard his own age. So I have to keep that realm of how is, how is this going to be perceived by other kids your age and then teach him how to stay within that um, realm of, of participation. You know, and it comes hand in hand with uh, how you as a parent figure, remember we had that hierarchy. So the, the subordinate members of that pack, meaning your child, are watching you. They learn through mimicry. They learn through exploration. So now all of a sudden they see you forcefully taking something out of your dog's mouth because you can't drop it, give it to me right now. And the dog does. Next thing you know, the dog has a shoe and the young boy goes over and tries to do what daddy did and tries to forcefully remove the shoe. But the dog doesn't willingly give it up to the child. Uh, same thing. If you push some animal of yours off your sofa, and now all of a sudden the child crawls up there and the dog jumps up. He tries to push the dog off because monkey see, monkey do. The animals learn through mimicry and that they watch you do certain things. So all this needs to be taken into account. So what you brought up was really good, but also how you, not so much how you interact with your child, but how your child sees you interact with other humans and other dogs because they're watching and they're learning and they're going to certainly try to do what you did. I can't tell you how many times we've had to address that. Just me, you know, tapping one of my dogs on the butt saying, all right, go move away, go, you're in my spot. And now we have to stop our son. Uh, hey, you do not do that. There you go. <laughs> I know that you've seen me do it, but you do not do that. There you go. Okay, guys. So I hope you got a lot of good information about play, what to do, what not to do. Um, if you have any questions about it, please reach out to us, Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com, because sometimes this can be very, very serious and can definitely have serious consequences. So if you're a little bit still unclear, if I didn't do my job and get cleared up for you, I promise give me a second shot at it and I'll do that for you. But now let's move on. We have a couple of questions. I want to try and answer them this week. We do. Okay. I'm currently working with a trainer who told me that allowing my dog, a six-month-old German Shepherd female, to sleep in my bed will degrade my training because my dog will think of me as an equal. Is that true? No. Next question. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. First of all, there is no equality. There's none. No, much, no matter how much you may want it, that's my best friend. Oh, you're not even equal with your best friend. I'm just going to put that to you straight right now. Give it up. There's not because put you and your best friend in a dire situation in which someone has to make a decision, someone will. And the other one will have to follow that. So no, there is number one, there's no equality. But number two, no, your dog can sleep with you all you wish. Dominance hierarchies, once they're established, are reinforced from the bottom up and from the top down. They're usually found within a context, meaning, why do I need to dominate you right now? Why do I? There's a reason for that. Anytime I feel I need to dominate you, I'm trying to influence your behavior. Well, the machine shuts down, we, meaning we sleep. 
the machine shuts down. This is when you will find the lowest ranking wolf snuggled up to the highest ranking wolf when it's 40 below zero. They want to stay warm. And at one point in evolution, the wolf was not an apex carnivore. It was eaten like it was a potato chip by saber-toothed tigers and a creature known as the dire wolf. So again, there was strength in numbers. Let's sleep nice and tight. When they slept spread out, yeah, let's obey this dominant hierarchy thing. So you go, you junior, go, go sleep over there. They woke up in the morning and someone asked, uh, have you seen Fred? <laughs> you want to see Fred? Uh, so again, there's a lot of reasons for it, but no, they will not. I don't give a hoot if your dog sleeps in your bed. Just keep in mind, a study that was done by the New York Times suggested that the people who get the worst sleep as humans are those who do allow their pets to sleep in their room. And the next thing you're not supposed to do is have your office in your bedroom and you're not supposed to read your iPhone and read the news before you go right to sleep. So just kind of keep that in mind. But that will, I promise you, will do nothing to, to create any sort of equality or make, the, make you lose any sort of leadership at all. Again, I don't have a problem with dogs in beds. I only have a problem with the dog has a problem with me being in the bed. Yep. Now, but that's because I, there was not a stable hierarchy. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this, if you can tell your dog, it goes back just to how we were talking about with Tug. If you can tell your dog to get off or tell your dog to out the toy and, and you have that level of control, then there's not going to be an issue with your dog in bed. No, no, there's not going to be. Okay, next question. Good. So the rats get to sleep with us tonight, right? No, because I need my sleep. <laughs> I'll keep trying. <laughs> I am new to fostering and have my first foster puppy. My personal dog keeps growling at the puppy. Why would a dog growl at a puppy, for heaven's sake? Does this mean I can't foster anymore? Okay, let's answer the first question. Why would a dog growl at a puppy, for heaven's sake? All right, kind of again, we, we don't have a lot of information on this, meaning ages, of, you know, I, I, I call dogs, honestly, up to about almost two years of age, a puppy, you know, uh, so I don't know the ages of these animals, but let me tell you why. First of all, a growl is only there, it's a signal. And this dog, this older dog, for whatever reason, is trying to influence the puppy's behavior. And typically growls mean this, back off. Because if you don't back off, it doesn't mean come here. You never have a dog go, <clears throat> oh, that means come. No, <laughs> it, it does not. So if your dog is growling at the puppy, it's trying to make the puppy go away from it. Now, why would it ever make a puppy go away from it? Okay, first of all, they don't care if it's a puppy. I don't want to be harassed by you. Puppies harass. They have sharp little teeth. They jump on me. I don't feel like being jumped on. I'm already suffering from arthritis at this age, so on and so forth. But anyway, why would they growl the puppy? To make the puppy go away. Either I'm being harassed by the puppy or, or I've never been around a puppy. So I don't even know for sure what the heck it is. Is this thing a threat to me? Is it going to hurt me in some sort of way? Why do you think dogs attack infants? Why do you think they do? They don't know what it is. They don't know for sure what it is. Why are half the fatalities that happen in this country happen to children under four years of age? Because they're standing head level with the dog. So the dog perceives them as an adult. You're human. If you can look me in the eyes, you've got to be an adult. So therefore, I'm going to attack you. Yeah, I, I don't know why. But does it mean that you can't foster anymore? No, because it could just be that puppy. 
It could be that particular way that puppy behaves. The next puppy comes in and goes, you know, hey, you old dog over there, um, kind of like you at a distance. And I really don't want to associate with you in any sort of way. And they keep their distance and no problem whatsoever. I don't think you can ever take anything and make it completely, put it all in a box. You just can't wrap it up in a tight little box like that. You have to take it case by case. Um, but me, I'm going to start looking for why are you growling? Meaning, is there a toy nearby? Is there a food bowl nearby? Uh, is that your favorite spot on the sofa? Yeah, look for that. Because typically, remember, I told you before, competitive aggression is the leading cause of aggression. It's definitely not going to be territorial after that puppy's been there for a little bit. So now the only other thing it could be is self-defense. You're scaring me. I don't, I don't know if I can interpret you correctly. What the heck are you doing? I don't get that signal you're giving to me, little pup. Yeah, you, you bet. They're simply trying to influence that pup's behavior. So I wouldn't give up on fostering. But yeah, you bring in 19 puppies over the next 19 months, and every single one of them get growled at by the dog. Okay, now let me know. <laughs> now I'm going to give you a different answer. I wish I, I wish I had this video queued up. I was just watching it the other night with my wife and it's a video of this. It's a little bit different situation, but it definitely uh, shows an older dog growling at puppies. It's a mother uh, dog with its a litter of puppies and it just comes into the room to feed with them. And all of these puppies are going nuts, jumping up at, you know, trying to, to latch on. And she finally just stops and she lets out this big <laughs> And they all just flatten on the ground and they just sit there and one kind of gets up to kind of get closer. She puts them back to the ground and she finds her comfy spot to lay down and they, they then begin feeding. So it was just this, this signal again, trying to influence your behavior, calm down, get away from me. Let, let me, me get comfortable yeah, let first. Me get comfortable <laughs> first. Think about us. You know, you sit there, do you growl? I mean, you growl. You know, <laughs> me? Yeah. You growl every now and then at me and like back <laughs> off. Um, yeah, that's what it is. It's communication. When you don't have language, then you use signals. And they come in the forms of body signals, body English, so what we call visual, haptic, where you touch them, auditory. This dog is sending an auditory signal, and there could be a myriad of causes surrounding even one major cause, like competitive, could be over anything. Anything and everything that that dog perceives as valuable, you know, case in point, you wouldn't catch me growling at anyone should a tub of cottage cheese land between me and that person. Not at all. Help yourself. I care less. I'm not going to compete with you. So again, it, 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 it all centers around the analysis that is done by both animals. Do I feel like taking that? Do I want that? And if I do want it, do I feel like I can take it from you? If you don't meet all of those, you don't have this high value, you, don't, you haven't already worked out this, if you already have worked out this hierarchical situation in which I am dominant over you, then there's not going to be a fight. This is obviously a new pup. I don't know you, and you need to learn a few things about this household. And so I, I wouldn't be worried about that growling. No, that's not going to worry me at all. I'm just going to wait to see what happens next and, and also just kind of try to find out what is going on. Okay, guys, so I hope you figured, uh, got a couple of good nuggets out of that. That was play. Next week, we are going to talk about, hey, does size matter? Uh, do you, if you have a bigger brain, are you able to learn training things easier than a dog with a small brain? So we're going to talk about that. we got a couple more really good questions that are 
have already been sent into us. So send in yours this week. And in the meantime, Joshua, tell them about our social media. Yep. Find us obviously on Facebook. If you're watching us on Facebook already, go to our Facebook, like us, follow us, um, go to our Instagram, follow us there. You'll see our stories and our posts there. And then you can also subscribe to our YouTube where you'll get all types of content. Very good. All right, guys, you have a great week. Play hard. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it. 